Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, this is exciting, isn't it? Hello, hello, Chris. I've already said good morning to you, but it's nice to speak to you again. <laughs> oh, how exciting to be back. And, um, who was here last week? How many of us were here last week? We, had a, we were set out a bit differently. We were sort of doing a very kinesthetic, all-age learning thing. Right, we are really excited. I don't have the clicker, so can you just put the slide up for me? Is that all right? Um, we are, and I'll give you a nod as to when we need the next one. Thanks, Chatham. Um, we are really excited, aren't we, to be able to gather together again. It's... I don't know about you, but I have missed this. I have missed being with people. It's a joy and a privilege to have the freedom to worship together. I was reflecting on this this week. I reckon I have spent pretty much, apart from a handful each year, most Sundays in church for the last 51 years. I reckon. I'm not claiming that as a record or anything. Um, But I have learned from COVID not to take this for granted, because it's such a privilege, isn't it, to just be able to gather and to, and to worship together. We've always believed that as followers of Jesus, we come to church, it's important that we worship God together, that we learn together, but we're not just here for our own benefit. Hence, the title of this series, Gather to Go. And there's a quote on the bottom of that slide from a bloke called William Temple, who was an archbishop, and he said this in 1956. He said, the church exists primarily For the sake of those who are outside it. He said some other really cool things too, but I really like that. Around here, we use the phrase scattered servants to describe how we don't restrict the life of God to what happens here in the building. Actually, this is the the small part of it. Actually, we look to share the life and the love of God in our homes and workplaces and families and schools and colleges and playgrounds and communities and streets Every day and every way. And over the last 18 months, we really have literally been scattered, haven't we? I remember I loved hearing in our August online services, uh, we did some interviews. One was with Steve and Joe, and Steve was talking about how he'd been at the front line of testing all the way through. What an incredible opportunity to be and bring the presence of God into his work. Tom and Tess, we heard from, serving their neighbours and their neighbourhood and their street in Andover um, and through the football club. It was really inspiring. I hope you got to see those interviews. If you didn't, those services are online and you can um, look on um, Facebook or YouTube. Let's be honest though, lockdown was pretty challenging, wasn't it? It was brutal for some of us. Um, and as we did at the beginning, when, as Joe led us, it's important to reflect on and acknowledge the grief and the loss and to process that. It's important not to just rush away from that, but actually to say, yes, this was really difficult. How do I deal with that? But also, lockdown was a really precious opportunity for us to grow in character, to face adversity, to face tough times, and to come through them stronger, to bless neighborhoods and serve communities. You know, we in our street, Joe and I got to know our neighbors better than ever before. We, we wanted to do a party and the only people we could do a party with was our neighbours sitting with us on one side of the road and them on the other side of the road. And we spent about four or five hours one Saturday afternoon just sitting down the street chatting to the neighbours, sort of shouting across the street a bit. 
And, and with some of the families there, not all of them admittedly, but with two or three of those families, I feel like we are in a much deeper relationship with them. And it's a two-way thing. It's not just us to them, them to us as well. Just sharing part of their lives, sharing our lives. And so we're celebrating that we can gather together like this. It's wonderful. We're delighted. Maybe you're even relieved that we can do this. But in the next season, we still want to be the kind of people that actively live out our faith there. And I think there's a little danger that we might just go, oh, great, we can come back to the church. Let's run into the church and shut the doors and go, yay, we can do this again. And I just want to remind us that that's not what it's about. We gather to go. We gather to go. We're here for other people. The mission of Jesus is out there. He spent the least amount of time with them, with religious people. In fact, there's another quote from that guy, William Temple. He said, it's a mistake to suppose that God is only or even chiefly concerned with religion. Okay, Because Jesus is interested in the people who don't know him yet, and so should we be. And that's why at this crucial series, we wanted to call this Gather to Go. Um, It's an important time for us. It's a reset time for us, actually. And so we want to take some time to look at what's really important about the reasons we come to church. Remind ourselves what this community is all about. And there are loads of great things. There are loads of good things happen around the church, some brilliant things. But if we boil everything down, if we boil everything down to what we're really about here, it comes down to one word, and the word is discipleship, okay? We're here because we want to be disciples of Jesus. But what does that mean? Just put the next slide up for me, Chatan. When you hear this, a disciple is dot, 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 turn to the person next to you and just tell them what comes to mind, or behind you, or maybe shout across the aisle if you're sitting further away. What is the word that comes to your mind? word or words when you hear the word disciple. A disciple is what to you? Just turn to each other and just, well, yeah, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated or long, just what is a disciple? What does that mean? Okay, some people shout out some words to me. By the way, if you are watching this talk online, you can also, if you don't have anybody to turn to, just say it to yourself. What is a disciple? What does it mean to me? Somebody shout out something. What a disciple is what? Thank you. Somebody who's learning. Very good. Something else. A disciple is? Sorry, one at a time. A follower. Thank you. The same thing. A follower. Somebody who's learning. A follower. Anything else? A disciple is? Carry the authority of God. Love that. Great. Okay. One more. A disciple is? A, I thought you said a dentist. <laughs> A disciple is a dentist. No, a disciple is an apprentice. Oh, you've taken the words out of my mouth. You're absolutely right. We'll come to that in a minute. You see, we don't often refer to ourselves as the disciples, do we? Oh, the disciples at Winchester Vineyard. I don't use that word. Do you? It sounds a bit religious, doesn't it? Um, You might have heard that phrase, discipleship. And depending on how long you've been around the church, or any church, that might have good or bad connotations. In some church cultures, Discipleship or being disciples is associated with a process that is, that is a process that is done to you rather than something you're choosing to do. A bit like mentoring, one-to-one mentoring or leadership training. These things are valuable, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about a discipleship process where you are subject to things being done to you because the problem with that is that all of the responsibility for your growth comes on the person who is doing the discipling, the person who's sort of been down the line already. And that, that's not what Jesus was talking about because you're right, follower is good, growth is good. But if you're a disciple, then the responsibility for growth or change lands on you, not the person who's teaching you or training you. It's about you. 
in the Jewish tradition, or even further back, the Greek tradition, being a disciple, which is where Jesus took the word from, means you are the person who's doing the learning. It's an active word. Student or follower is a really good word. And yes, you're right. Apprentice is, I think, I actually think apprentice is probably the best word culturally now to describe what it is because an apprentice is someone who is on a learning journey alongside a master in close proximity and working together. An apprentice has an end goal and the end goal is to become like the person who they are apprenticed to. By the, word, by the way, I, when I use the word master, I know that word can have negative connotations around slavery and control and power, and that's not what I'm talking about. A master is also a word that means somebody who is highly skilled, a master craftsman, a master electrician. You can even have a master plumber, can't you? Um, who here, is there anybody here who at some point in their life has actually done an apprenticeship, been an apprentice? Yeah? Fantastic. Just what, what were you an apprentice? What kind of apprentice were you? Shout it out, Mike. Brilliant. An apprentice electronic engineer. Who else? Somebody else waved their hand? Shoot. Go on, Mark. An apprentice electrician. Brilliant. Anybody else? One more? Hannah. An apprentice dancer. Fantastic. Thank you. An so you guys will know, next slide please, apprentices have three goals. And whether you're an apprentice electrician, whether you're an apprentice electronic engineer, an apprentice dancer, an apprentice plumber or craftsman, you have three goals. Number one, be with the master. Number two, become like the master. And number three, learn to do the things the master does. You do that in a, in a long-term relationship, a long-term learning journey. And um, in fact, Mal, who I don't think he's here, is telling me he'd been a, an apprentice electrician, and he said he was there for five years. It took him five years to learn to be an electrician. And at the end of it, he said, you could even tell when you looked at the apprentices, the work that they did, you could tell who they had been an apprentice to, which of the master electricians they had learned from. Because they'd learnt, because the, the style was there. They'd been so close in the learning journey that that's how they'd, they'd grown. And so you can see the analogy here, can't you? You can see that disciples are those who have accepted an invitation to walk alongside Jesus intentionally to learn from him, the master, to learn to do the things he did. Choosing to be a disciple of Jesus is like enrolling on a lifelong apprenticeship to learning the way of Jesus. And apprentices, next slide please, to Jesus have three goals. It's to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. And this, as a church, Winchester Vineyard here, this is our bread and butter. This is our main and our plain. There's a lot of activity goes on around here, loads of stuff. Some of it feels more spiritual, some of it feels more hands-on and practical, um, but everything we do, be it every group we run, every service we hold, every ministry that, that operates out of here, every team, every relationship we have, every role that we play, every talk we do, all of these things are related back to one of these three aims. There's only one of these three things that we want to do. Okay, no, that's not true. There are all three things that we want to do. Everything we do reflects, reflects back to one of these three things. And it starts with a simple invitation to respond to Jesus, just to be with him. So last week at the All Age service, we were talking about the vine and the branches, and I asked this question, how strong is your connection to Jesus? Especially after lockdown, how strong is our connection? 
Is it in a good place or could it be stronger? And today is a great day to strengthen your connection to Jesus. Or even to make a connection to Jesus for the first time. But today I want to focus on what comes next, which is becoming like Jesus. And I make, I make an assumption on a Sunday morning here as the pastor of Winchester Vineyard that because you're here, you are interested in fi- either finding out more about Jesus, connecting with Jesus for yourself, or doing something further than that, becoming an apprentice to Jesus so that you learn to become like him. I'm making that assumption. If you're here for any other reason, I'd be honestly, genuinely fascinated to hear what it is. Um, But that's what I want to explore today. What does it mean to become an apprentice to Jesus? Not just to rock up on a Sunday, have a great time, enjoy church, and go away feeling a little bit warmer and a little bit better. That's great. If If we've come to meet with Jesus, that's a really good thing. But we are here for more than that. We're here because we want to be apprentices to him in a lifelong learning relationship. So let's look at this Bible passage. Next first, please. Next slide, please. And this is uh, Matthew 11, uh, 28. I've written the words up here, but it is in the Bible if you want to look it up and check for yourself. Um, And this is quite a well-known passage, and it's only three verses. Um, And it says this, come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you've been around church, you've probably heard that verse hundreds of times. But there's something so simple and profound in here that I think is worth looking at. First of all, as I said, the invitation is just come. Come and be. Come as you are. Jesus doesn't ask us to change anything about ourselves in order just to come and be in his presence. We've used that phrase in church quite often, we come as you are. Some people sometimes come to me and say, I've got X, Y, Z going on in my life. Am I welcome in your church? I say, Jesus says, come as you are. I don't care what's going on in your life. Ginny Cryer, who started this church, used to say, we are the church of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance, and so on. Even if you think you've screwed everything up, Jesus says, come as you are. And who are we to say otherwise? So the first invitation is simply to come. Come and rest. Lay down your burdens. Step out of your weariness. What an invitation. But then it goes further, and verse 29 is the key one for now. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's kind of where I want to focus in. It's, a, it's quite a well-known verse, but I think it needs explaining. Because when I first hear this, I think of yolk as in egg yolk. <laughs> Take my yolk upon you. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> because I'm not sure of what, what the word yolk is, because it's a very agricultural term. So um, pop the next slide up for me. A yolk is a wooden frame that joins two animals together. Right? It's used for pulling heavy loads off of plowing fields. It binds the two animals together and keeps them in step. It forces them to work together. And if you particularly, for example, had um, a very, uh, an older and more experienced animal and you were sort of bringing on a younger animal that was less experienced, you would yoke them together so that the young one would basically learn the ropes you know, by being attached to the older one and that it would m- make them work together. So it's an agricultural image, but Jesus 
Jesus is only partly using it for that reason, because there's a deeper significance when Jesus uses it too that isn't obvious when you first look at this. You see, for first century Jews who are listening to Jesus talking, this image is loaded with an extra deeper cultural symbolism. Um, The image of a a yoke is used as a metaphor for kind of being attached to something that's oppressive, something that's dragging you down, something that's... um, that's something that's just heavy and controlling and crushing. And in um, Israel, the, the metaphor was around the Jewish law. Right? In other words, the rules on how to live. Right? And so in Jesus' time, the Pharisees had this long um, interpretation of how to do the law. And there was all the written original law. And then there was all the extra rules that they'd added on extensively. And the, the law that that people had to live under, the religious law, was increasingly oppressive. It became a, contrush- a crushing burden. It became controlling. And it's enforced by the religious leaders of the day. And that is what people think of when they think of the word yoke. I'm yoked to the law. right? And it's a heavy burden. And when Jesus is saying this, take my yoke, he's contrasting this heavy, oppressive, religious you know, burden of the Pharisees. And he's saying, look, my yoke is not like that at all. It's restful. It will bring you rest for your souls. Come and yoke yourself to me, not to that. Learn how to do life my way, the way God originally intended. Walk with me and learn my ways. And there's a beautiful version of this in the message translation. Next slide, please. So it's the same verse, but this is the message translation. Maybe you've read it. I love it. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I don't know about you, but I just love that. And Eugene Peterson, who translated that, I think he just really hit on something. That phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Walk with me and work with me. Doesn't that, doesn't that describe this kind of apprenticeship that we've already talked about? This is about learning stuff, but it's about doing it in relationship. It's an alternative way of life to the craziness of the world we live in. It's alternative to the basic selfishness of humans. Okay? But listen, Jesus' way is not a quick fix. It's not a three-point pan on a PowerPoint that if you just do it, it'll be fine and everything will go great. It's not a political philosophy or something you can vote for or campaign for. It's not even a scheme you can sign up to. It's not something you can order for next day delivery on Amazon. Oh, just get the way of Jesus. Here it is. Oh, it's coming tomorrow. Fantastic. I'm set for good. It doesn't work like that. But that's the, I mean, that's the society we live in, isn't it? But it, this is a way of living that you can only learn over a period of time by becoming an apprentice to a master who will gradually, through relationship, working together and walking together, show you how to grow into it. And in Jesus' case, we actually don't ever get to graduate while we're on the earth either because there's just always something else to learn. And so whether you have been following Jesus for hundreds of years, well, several years, right, or whether you're brand new to it. We in Winchester Vineyard, in the words of the popular noughties Disney film, High School Musical, we are all in this together. Okay? 
doesn't, thank you. It doesn't matter if you've been doing this a long time or you're brand new to it or you just want to know what it's all about. This is what we're into. This is who we are as a church, a community of people who want to be apprentices to Jesus, who want to walk with him and work with him. And another word for that, another phrase that we use for that, I don't want to get too much into this, is this phrase, spiritual formation. Here's a quote from a book called Mansions of the Heart. Next one, please. Oh, has it died? <laughs> oh, there we go. Right, here's a quote from a book. Sorry, it's a bit rough because I just took a photo of the page. Uh, this is a fantastic book called Mansions of the Heart by Thomas Ashbrook. And he talks about, uh, it's called Seven Stages of Spiritual Growth. This is just a beautiful description of the process of spiritual formation. He says, the process that takes place in us as the life of the Spirit of God transforms our life through deepening love and intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remaking us in the likeness of Jesus Christ, in his love for the Father and the world. Isn't that a beautiful description? And then he says, God, he goes on to comment on it, God transforms our hearts so that we're able to live in his love in greater degrees of intimacy. In the nearness to Jesus, our very being becomes more like that of Jesus. And we're able to relate to God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit increasingly as Jesus does. So for those of you who like long quotes, that's it. Spiritual formation. If those words are a bit long for you, apprentices to Jesus, walking with him, working with him. It's the same thing. This is our lifetime's work. The question for us is, where are we on this journey? Where are you on this journey? In this season of life? Where is your apprenticeship to Jesus? Are you just into it? Are you into it a long way? Have you drifted away? Have you taken a sabbatical from it? And where do you want to be and who's on that journey with us? Just think now. Who is the person or people for me in my life, in my world, in my sphere that most encourage me to be more like Jesus? Just have a think for yourself. Who is that person or who are those people? When I'm with him or her, when I'm with them, when I'm in that context, I am thinking about, I'm praying about, and I'm encouraged to be more like Jesus. Maybe it's this service. Great. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's some friends. Maybe it's something else. Just have a think about that. And then ask yourself the question, have I spent any time with them recently? What's that been like? Do I want to spend some more time? Because practically... This thing, as it hits, as the rubber hits the road, you know, another question is, how am I using my resources to further the goal of being more like Jesus? How am I spending my time and my energy and my money? If this is a priority for me, if I'm on this learning journey, then it is going to cost me something. You know, if I wanted to know, for example, what's really important in your life, and I'm not this kind of creepy guy, but if I was... Right? With your permission, perhaps, I could look and see what's in your diary. And I could look and see what's on your last few bank statements. And it would be easy to look and just say, oh, well, this is clearly important to you because you spent money on it. Well, this is clearly important to you because you spent time on it. If being an apprentice to the way of Jesus is important to us, then it's going to reflect in our calendars and in our bank statements. And maybe something you might want to do as a result of this service is to go home and review that. Just have a look over the last month, over the last six months. I know it's been COVID and it's been weird and a bit different. But how, how, how committed am I to this process? In, um, 
is pursuing the habits and practices. Sorry, I'm going to start that sentence again. How do I want to spend my time and my money in the next six months, in the next year? Is it in pursuing habits and practices that are going to bring me closer to Jesus? Like reading the Bible, spending time being quiet, praying. Being in a life group so I can encourage one another in faith, so I can grow together. Serving on a team in church so we can practically serve and make church happen. So that we can welcome others in, or is it in something else? Now as parents, we have tried to model this for our kids. We have tried to show them what's important to us and why, what we spend time and energy and money on as much as we can. And um, I, we also have tried to do everything we can to facilitate it for them. I, w- I will pretty much do anything to ensure that my kids and other people's kids get to be around events and people that will help them to be inspired and encouraged in their faith and to get closer to Jesus. Now that usually, honestly, costs time, money, petrol, and it's usually on my day off, (laughs) okay? Just being real, I've had to drive right across the country several times to get my kids to camps because I know that when they get there, they're going to be around people who who are gonna help them meet with God. I've done it for myself, so why wouldn't I do it for them? There's another well-known verse about discipleship in Mark chapter 8. Next slide, please. And it's this. Whoever wants to be my disciple, says Jesus, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And in this one, Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. He is saying that actually, if you really want to follow me, it's going to cost you something. It doesn't come for free. Because anything that's worth having is going to cost us something, isn't it? Just like the cost to learning a new skill or developing a new habit. Don't they say it takes minimum 10,000 hours to become an expert in something? So I'm really not a tennis fan, but I couldn't help but follow this story and watch this final last night. Anybody watch the tennis final last night? I mean, this girl's, what an incredible story. I've got a particular interest because it turns out that she goes to the same school that Joe used to go to, which I was a bit like, ooh, that's exciting. But um, more than that, more than that, what a story. And everyone's going, oh, wow, you know, she's come from nowhere, um, and she's, she's um, you know, obviously done fantastically well. But she hasn't come from nowhere. She's clearly put in many, 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 many hours over the last, well, I think she started when she was five, so what's that, 13 years. And I read something about her that along the way she had to give up a bunch of other things. Like, she's really into, she was really into karting and motorsport as well. And at the age of 13, she had to give that up in favor of tennis. So anything that's costly. Uh, I put this other one up. This guy, Steve Redgrave. Anyone remember him? Olympic rower. Um, won f- at the time, he was the British man with the most Olympic golds. I think, that, I think, that, I think that's gone to somebody else now, isn't it? But, um, so he won four finals every four years. And I, I, I heard him talking about his training regime. He talked about how Christmas Day... Uh, they went out and trained. He talked about the day that his wife gave birth to their daughter. He was there in the, in, the, in the hospital at the birth present. And then when she got all settled down, he went, right, I'm going now, I'm going to training. And his wife said, you're sorry, you're doing what? He said, I've got to go training. Now, I'm not sure that I would be that dedicated. I think, I think, for, yeah, yeah, I haven't got a gold medal though, so there you go, we'll never know, will we? But, um, but, uh, but, um, yeah, I did tell Jo I was going to use this, use this example, and she said, are you sure you want to say that? <laughs> I just think that... Spouses, be with your wife. 
Yes, yes. If you, anything that's worth having is going to cost something, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, sacrifice is all part of growth and maturity. You know, we have global partners, people connected to this church who are in different places who have sacrificed, made sacrifices for the sake of what God is calling them to do, their step of discipleship. People like Paul and Katie here, people like um, Johnny and Beth who are around, who've, who've gone out to places, um, put themselves in different languages and cultures and spaces, been far from home, not around any believers, just to try and follow what it is that, that God was calling them to. Discipleship is costly. But it's not an isolated cost. You see, Jesus says, walk with me and work with me. The relationship is all part of it. Next slide, please. The goal of an apprentice is to become like your master. Can you pop the next slide up for me? And Jesus is a master at living. And so, oh, oh hello. Sparkler six. I didn't put that bit on there. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, that is, if, you, if you're new here, that's a little note for the parents <laughs> to say um, to come. Um, over the years, some Christian groups have focused almost exclusively on following Jesus, the Savior who shows us how to die, and the death part of discipleship, which is important, the cost of it. But if you're not careful, you miss out the fact that he's also an incredible teacher who shows us how to live. And the Gospels are full of his teaching. It's radical and it's life-changing. Study apprenticeship to Jesus means learning his and studying his teachings, living them out in our lives, applying them to our lives. When Jesus says, Don't worry, what did he actually mean? Well, he meant, Don't worry, didn't he? Yeah? But, but let's think about that. That's what we do in this church, that's what we do here. Being like Jesus means being anxiety free, being stress free, not being in a hurry. Having the power over the demonic. Having power to heal the sick. Not racked by lust and greed. Content with the food and clothing I have. Not interested in possessions and stuff or lifestyle. Finding it easy to love my enemies and not hate them. Never jealous, never greedy, never selfish about anything. In every situation, being the most emotionally present and the most mature person in the room. That's what being like Jesus is. And I, for one, am not there yet. And if anybody is, I want to come and apprentice to you. <laughs> but this is, what, this is what Jesus was. This is who he was. That's what it's like when the rubber hits the road. And that's what I'm shooting for. Although, you know, it take, it's going to take some time. It doesn't just happen automatically. It's a process of formation. And just honestly, being honest, I, I think it probably is possible to do on your own. But it certainly doesn't look like much fun. And it doesn't seem very effective either, apart from perhaps a few people. Like, this is something that we do together. It's a long-term commitment, and we need people on the journey. And Jesus had a whole crowd of apprentices who were traveling around with him and learning the way. Possibly hundreds. Don't be confused by the fact that there were 12 apostles. They were kind of like his leadership development group. But there were plenty of other people who were traveling with Jesus, who were hanging around and who were learning the way of Jesus. At one point, we read about how he sends 72 out of them, 72 of them out to do the stuff. There are basically, next slide please, two crowds that Jesus 
interacted with. One were the apprentices, and one were what we'll call the crowds. And he treated each slightly differently. He had different expectations from them and a different kind of relationship with them. And I think it's true today, and it's a good question to ask yourself, which of these groups am I in? You see, the apprentices were the people who had responded to the call of Jesus to come and be with me and walk with me and learn these unforced rhythms of grace. The apprentices are the ones who spend more time with Jesus, learning to be with him, doing the things he does. We're going to cover all of that side of things next week, they're doing the things he does. They're committed, they're intentional, they are in it for the long haul, they're expected to get involved, they're part of his team, they get out there and do the stuff. They're the people who see Jesus up close and personal, who get to share in the adventures and be part of the adventure, part of the team. And then there's the crowd. The crowd are also people who are coming towards Jesus, but, but somehow different. They're attracted to him, yes. Some of them don't really know why they're attracted to Jesus. They've heard something good about him. They've heard about the way he is, the things he teaches, the stories he tells, the miracles he performs. Maybe some of these people in the crowd have come to hear him because they need a miracle in their own life. Maybe one of those comes about. The crowd is a really good place to be. If you're just trying to find out more, if you want to observe rather than get involved, it's a really safe place to hide. It's usually not very threatening. And there isn't really any commitment involved in being in the crowd around Jesus. You can come and go as you please. And so if you are here today for one of those reasons, you are more than welcome. And we often say this, please feel free to come as a guest to our church, to be here and to observe and to find out more about Jesus. But, you know, ultimately, if you want more out of a life with Jesus, then a deeper response is needed. And so at some point, we're going to have to become a disciple or an apprentice. Some point, we're going to have to join the program, take an active stance, get our hands dirty, get involved, step out of the boat, as Mark was sharing this morning. Now, that might feel more risky, but in my Humble experience, it's so worth the risk. So worth the risk. You get to do this life alongside Jesus. And that's precious and it's powerful. It's a decision I made in my early 20s. I'd finished at uni. I was looking at my life going, what's it about? What happens next? I'd grown up as a believer, but I, ha- I faced a choice. You're gonna, uh, I decided that I couldn't be half-hearted as I had been pretty much right throughout my student days. I drifted in my faith. I'd never lost it, but I drifted. And I kind of had a bit of a talking to to myself and said, look, either you're going to get in this properly or just ditch it. And I had to have a, make a decision. And I decided that I knew enough about God to commit, and so I committed. Never looked back. I mean, I'm not saying it's been easy, but I've never looked back. How do you get to become an apprentice to Jesus? Next slide, please. There are three things I think you need to do to become an apprentice, to make that move, to decide I'm not going to be in the crowd, I'm actually going to be somebody who's signed up and following Jesus. Okay, the first one is to make some kind of public declaration of your faith. Jesus instructed people who chose to be his apprentices to get baptized. That's something we do in this church. We're hoping to do a baptism service. We're planning to hold a baptism service later on this term. And we love you if you have not been baptized and this is something that you'd like to do, we'd love to talk to you. Yes, it's symbolic baptism, but it's also public. It's a public declaration of your intention to become an apprentice to Jesus. You might have been baptized as a baby, in which case maybe you can make a different 
public declaration of your faith. Give your testimony. But whatever you decide to do, however it is, tell some people. Make it known in your circle that this is something that you've decided to do. The second thing is to join a community of apprentices. Now, it doesn't have to be a church that looks like church and meets on Sunday morning particularly, but it is essential that you join some kind of community of apprentices to Jesus where there are people who are on this journey. Okay? For a whole host of reasons. Okay? And what that looks like around here, I'll come back to in just a minute. And the third thing, and this is a, this is a, a phrase that I think Paul coined, although he got it from somebody, somebody important, but you said it, to, I got it heard it from you anyway. Systematically reorganize your life to become more like Jesus. It was from that preacher, wasn't it? Willard, Dallas Willard, that's it. I think you said it better though. Um, this is the everyday, you said it more concisely anyway. This is the everyday process of walking with Jesus. Taking time in relationship to review what's going on, to make changes where necessary. How am I spending my time, energy, and money? You know, allowing one or two trusted people to challenge me on that. It's about intentionally putting into practice these, these uh, disciplines, these things that help us stay. It's about taking a tool, an ancient tool, maybe like the prayer of examine, and saying, or, or, or taking silence or solitude or Sabbath and saying, I want to practice these things that keep me close to Jesus. And over the next, do you know, honestly, over the next three to four years, we are going to be taking one per term, one of these practices of Jesus and working out how we build it into our lives. Already over the past year or so, we've looked at prayer, we've looked at stillness, we've looked at worship. Next month, we're focusing on community and then into the new year, more stuff. Imagine what the impact would be if we as a community all lived in this way. Jesus had less than 100 people for less than three years and managed to start something that changed the world and has lasted for the last 2,000 years, two millennia. Some of us have been in the crowd for more than three years. And maybe we need to raise the bar on our own lives. We don't just come to church because it suits us. We don't just come to church because it's fun and we like the people there. Actually, we need to take a step of joining the apprentices to Jesus that are here. Very last uh, slide. What does it look like to join our community here? Well, we've always said that um, around this church, we don't sign members up on a dotted line. It's functional. Membership is functional. And so if you want to be part of this church, we invite you to worship with us, to join a life group. You'll be hearing more about that next week and how to join life groups. To join a team by helping us host church. We're, we've done really well coming back after COVID. We've got some great teams going. The kids and youth is happening upstairs. But we always need more people. So we, you know, this is a particularly a season to join a team. We've got media teams. We've got coffee teams, welcome teams, kids and youth. We'd love to. Buy in by giving financially and invite others. If you are somebody who's doing those things or working towards those things, then we will assume that you are wanting to be considered as one of the apprentices to Jesus in this community. And we're in a reset moment, guys. We're in a reset moment right now. This is a great opportunity to get stuck in. If you've never taken that step before, you know, then we're all kind of in the same boat at this point as things get started up again.